0: Listener supported. WNYC Studios.
1: From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Thursday, September 28th. You've been hearing in today's news the general summaries and highlight segments from last night's Republican debate with the presidential hopefuls minus a certain ninety one felony indictments guy. All good, that general coverage is important. But we're gonna do something different and more specific with the policy focus we try to emphasize here. With Donald Trump meeting with auto workers last night instead of attending the debate, non union auto workers apparently And with President Biden walking a UAW picket line this week, and the first few questions at the debate last night about the strike and income inequality, we will focus this segment on the question, who's really supporting the autoworkers on their demands and blue-collar economics in general? To set this up, I'll play a few clips, then we'll talk to Jeff Stein, White House economics reporter for The Washington Post, and we'll take your calls. And I only pulled one response from the debate on the topic because all seven candidates there basically said their own versions of the same thing. Here's the exchange we'll play as representative. Near the beginning of the debate, Fox News moderator Stuart Varney asked Mike Pence this legit question.
0: Together, the CEOs of General Motors, Ford, and Stellantis make 336 times the number of rank-and-file uh, rank workers. That's just part of a, work, a wider income inequality trend in the country. The richest 1% now controls one-fifth of all income. Vice President Pence, last week you said you side with American workers, but you also support how these companies operate. Which is it?
1: So that was the question about income inequality at the auto companies and in the U.S. generally and which side uh, Pence is on. And this was the heart of Pence's response. And I got to tell you, while uh, while the union bosses are talking about class warfare and talking about disparity in wages, I I have to tell you, I really believe what's driving that is Bidenomics has failed. Wages are not keeping up with inflation. Auto workers and all American workers are feeling it, families are struggling in this economy. And Joe Biden's Green New Deal agenda is good for Beijing and bad for Detroit. We ought to repeal the Green New Deal, get rid of the mandates and subsidies that are driving American gasoline automotive manufacturing into the graveyard. And beyond that, also, as President of the United States, I'll be standing with workers all across America. America, and I'll be standing for the right to work of every American to join a union or not join a union as they decide. So there you go. Responding to a question about income inequality, Pence only used the word bosses in connection with the word union. Did you pick that up? He said union bosses. He didn't talk about the boss bosses. Uh, and Pence wrote it off as class warfare. Used that term and centered the right not to join a union as the applause line there at the end in his response. And he argued that President Biden's electric vehicle goals, what he called the Green New Deal, it's not Green New Deal, but he does have electric vehicle goals, are the real things auto workers should resent, plus inflation, not America's concentration of wealth, which he didn't address at all, even though that was the question. And again, that was representative Of all the candidates on stage, I think it's fair to say, we'll ask Jeff Stein if he saw it that way, and also of Trump, who we'll get to. So the contrast that matters here is with President Biden, who did something this week that no president has done before. He walked a picket line with striking workers. And he said this as he addressed the auto workers there through a bullhorn that would have answered Stuart Varney's question in a very different way made a lot of sacrifices. He gave up a lot, and the companies were in trouble. But now they're doing incredibly well. And guess what? You should be doing incredibly well, too. It's a simple proposition, just about being fair. And folks, stick with it, because you deserve the significant raise you need and
0: other benefits.
1: Joe Biden in Michigan this week. So whoever gets the Republican nomination to be the presidential candidate of the Republican Party and presuming that Joe Biden is the candidate of the Democratic Party, or really just about whatever Democrat or whatever Republican runs next year, that's going to be the contrast. With us now, Jeff Stein, White House economics reporter for The Washington Post. Jeff, thanks for coming on for this. Welcome back to WNYC. It's
2: always such a pleasure to be on, Brian. Thanks so much.
1: Jeff, first, do you agree with my premise that the Republicans at the debate last night basically all had the same take on the economics of the auto workers' strike as in that Mike Pence clip. Or would you like to point out any, any meaningful distinctions?
2: No, I, I think you're right. You you characterized it accurately that the you know bulk of the party is in the same place. I think the one perhaps interesting wrinkle, which actually I guess wasn't at the debate but occurred before it was when Tim Scott sort of made the suggestion that he would have fired the uh, striking auto workers, I don't know if you saw, but this earned him a complaint at the NLRB um, with the idea that this was an implicit threat, a violation of federal labor law, um, implicit to his own um, campaign staff. Um, I think that sort of was the most extreme version we've seen of the general sentiment that maybe um, you know, they, they they change a little bit in how they characterize it. But the general thrust is that the problem is not so much the automakers, the um, owners of the companies, but that the transition to electric vehicles is occurring outside the country. And insofar as we accelerate that, we are inevitably dooming the workers to a bad fate, regardless of what ownership and management does. And, of course, um, there's lots of problems with this argument. Um The the main one, I think, would be that, you know, as someone who covered the uh, process of passing the Inflation Reduction Act quite closely, the bill was written really um, quite strongly to precisely encourage the production of EVs um, and EV batteries in the U.S., I'd rather, I guess, rather in in North America more specifically. Um, And so there's this weird thing going on where this debate is happening in a very different context from the actual legislation that was written and passed, and that is in law.
1: Trump skipped the debate, as most of you know, and held an alternative event at a non-union plant in Michigan at the same time. But in his remarks to that crowd, he made basically the same points as we heard in the Mike Pence clip. Listen. By most estimates, under Biden's electric vehicle mandate, 40% of all U.S. auto jobs will disappear. Think of this in one or two years. I think one or two years, that's what you have to be talking about, not you're going to get X dollars an hour. It doesn't matter what the hell you're getting an hour. Do me a favor. just get your union guys, your leaders to endorse me, okay? And I'll take care of the rest. And again, like Pence, trying to separate the union members from their leadership. Um, And our guest is Jeff Stein, Washington Post, White House economics correspondent. And our phones remain open at 212-433-WNYC. For unionized blue-collar workers, non-unionized blue-collar workers, or anyone else, 212-433-9692. You can also text a comment or question to that number or tweet at Ryan Lehrer. Um, Jeff, can you fact-check Trump's claim there that, under most estimates, under Biden's electric vehicle policy, which, by the way, isn't a mandate, which they keep calling it, it's a goal with incentives. But let's say the goal of new cars being 50% EVs by 2030 comes to pass. Is Trump citing something real there about 40% of U.S. auto worker jobs disappearing in that scenario?
2: I have no idea what Trump is referring to there, but it's a good idea to try to track down where that that number comes from. I mean, I, I think Trump is on to something. Um, I don't want to give him too much credit, but I think he is right when he's identifying the threat that EVs po- pose to Detroit. What we are seeing now in a way that I think is quite alarming for um, auto workers in the Midwest is that as The us begins to spend more and more on evs the automakers are seeing a really huge opportunity to relocate their plants and factories away from places where they have these legacy contracts that are more expensive with you know what have been traditionally sort of the the powerhouse center of american labor and so you're seeing um especially in conjunction with um, sort of the joint enterprises with South Korea and Japan and other countries, a lot of these new factories for EVs are being relocated, not necessarily to China, but to the American Southeast. In particular, this um, battery belt that we've heard so much about, um, South Carolina, Florida, Georgia, we're seeing lots of concentrated investment in those states, in part because those states are right to work, States that have very low union density. And so from the automaker's perspective, we're going to have to build a new factory. We're getting incentives to do it from the U S government. Let's get out of these, these legacy contracts and do it, um, where the labor is cheaper. So that is a real threat. But to say that, um, that's the same thing as all union, all auto producing jobs being all auto manufacturing jobs being wiped out is obviously not true. Um, Also, as I was saying, these jobs are staying in the U.S., albeit not in the Midwest. And um, I think a lot of people would say, including the Biden administration, that the answer to this is not, um, you know, to just continue to shift labor around where it's cheaper in the U.S., but to pass laws that incentivize union density. I mean, it's not a new thing, but it really is staggering the degree to which um, American labor and American union workers have to compete with non-union workers in their own country. Um, you know, I was in Sweden for my honeymoon that the statistics there are that, you know, 85% of workers are unionized. It's true for, for, you know, more than half of workers across most of Western Europe. We're at, you know, 10, 11, 12%, depending on, on which numbers you use. So, you know, that, that is, um, I think a real thing that's happening that, that, workers in Detroit are vulnerable. But I think a lot of people would say it's because it's due to a race to the bottom in, in um, due to lax union policy. I
1: saw you slip in uh, where you went on your honeymoon there. Uh, nice <laughs> reference. I hope your wife <laughs> likes it. Um, by the way, in response to the Mike Pence clip, somebody texted Pence is the Uriah Heap of politicians. So for those of you who only know Uriah Heap as a rock band, and you never read David Copperfield, just Google Uriah Heap, uh, and you'll get it. But Jeff, what's the union saying about what you were just addressing as they ask for shorter work weeks, higher pay, and a return to traditional pensions? Are they asking for less conversion to uh, electric vehicles in any way or a certain type of conversion?
2: It's a great question. Uh, UAW President Sean Fain has been very clear that they understand the green transition is happening and that they support it and want to be a part of it. But they have been um, quite critical at times of the White House um, for, in particular, this um, part of the um, Inflation Reduction Act that Biden passed that included tens of billions of dollars in loans for the automakers. These loans have been going out with really... um, Essentially, no strings attached to labor standards. Um, that might be a little strong, but but very little um, by way of mandating that the grant that the loans go to companies that hire union workers. And so, uh, Sean Fain and others have been saying, um, "What? What? It, this is ridiculous! Like we, the unions that helped elect Biden, and now you're going to turn around, and give the automakers billions of dollars, and not even make sure that they use that money to hire union workers and I think, um, to be fair to the White House, they, if you remember, they did not have full control over this legislation. They had a fight tooth and nail with Joe Manchin to approve something that was anything that they could get through Congress. And so, uh, you know, I don't think the White House and my my reporting, and I, I, I can't confirm this for sure, but my reporting suggests that the White House really wanted to make sure that these loans had um, strict union requirements, but that the law made it impossible. And so um, it's a tough position, I think, for the White House to be in, where they sympathize with the idea that that there should be tougher labor standards in these agreements, but but ultimately don't have much um, leeway. And, and I think it's also a tough place for the UAW, where they understand that this transition is happening, that it, the re- administration has good reasons to encourage it, but are rightfully suspicious that um, automakers would use it as an excuse to um, change to a non union workforce
1: Michael in brooklyn you 're on WNYC Hi Michael, thanks for calling in
0: hey hey hi sorry i 'm losing my voice a bit. Uh, a union worker had talked about you know, how non union workers seem to resent what union members are getting, and I remember reading a book a few years ago by a, I think he was a Times writer, a guy named Stanley Greenhouse. Uh, and he described the dynamic in Wisconsin when, when Governor uh, Walker, I think his name was, was going after the, the, the public municipal employee unions, public worker unions. And he said, used to be in America, people saw somebody with a good union job and said, I want to get one of those jobs. And now we see people, are working class people, standing around saying, that guy has a good union job. He's getting too much. Let's take it away from him. And, and that is a bizarre change both, I guess, created by and exploited by uh, the party that's actually in the service of people who just don't want to pay workers or pay taxes or be regulated. And yet Pence saying, to, to applause, saying, I'm going to fight for workers and their right to work. And, and we all know what that means. It means not the right to work. It means the right to make minimum wage. And, 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 and blue-collar people... And outside of the, the union strongholds, we'll applaud that. And as I said to your screener, uh-huh. we're our own worst enemies, man. How did we do this to ourselves? You know?
1: Michael, thank it, you. Thank you very much for that call. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, he was referring to Stephen Greenhouse, um, who uh, was, is, or was a New York Times labor reporter. And he's written books on the topic. And, of course, he was referring to Governor Scott Walker at the time in Wisconsin. Um, So kind of to the point of that call and unionized and non-unionized workers' attitudes, Jeff, why did Trump pick a non-union plant as his venue last night if he was trying to convince union members to support him rather than presumably Biden next year? After their
2: strike. <laughs> I, I think because none of the union clients would have had him. Um, it, it, it is this hard thing, I think, for the media, because there is a real thing happening with Trump and blue collar workers that is different than other Republican candidates that he did in 2016. And in particular, really cut into Democrats' margins with union voters. Um, And so you have to recognize that 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 trend happened. And yet at the same time, this idea that Trump is this avatar of blue-collar union workers is so overstated, I think it's fair to say, in the media. And that grain of truth has been so um internalized by the media that that often we don't even point out what you're just saying which is that this was a non-union plant i saw not to criticize my colleagues but there was a lot of coverage that allied um I'm, I'm sure they just didn't realize that this was as you're saying a non-union plant invited by management as opposed to biden attending the picket line himself i mean the difference is quite clear i, I think it's also worth pointing out though that um you know, Trump was the first person to to say, I'm going to come to Detroit. I mean, Biden had to sort of scramble and and announce his visit to the picket line after Trump had already said um, that he would be in Detroit. You know, at the time Trump said that it did seem like a smart move um, politically to show support for auto workers generally. But then the fact that it turned out to be at a non-union plant at the invitation of management while Biden went to the picket line himself. It's maybe less flattering of a comparison than Trump initially hoped for.
1: Yeah. Well, the basic demographics of UAW members are, from what I've read, not as white and male as they used to be, but still mostly white and male. The union leadership leans more Democrat, as we've been discussing. Do you know how that particular rank and file voted in 2016 or 2020 for president?
2: That's a good question. I'm I'm not sure the UAW's numbers. Um, I know... Though that Michigan, you know, has a much more diverse set of UAW workers, there are some states, you know, Indiana they have a heavy presence, Ohio. That, my understanding, it's a much wider, um, more conservative um, set of UAW um, union members. Um, yeah, but I, I don't know the exact numbers of UAW workers who voted for Trump.
1: Listener tweets regarding unions when the private sector no longer can access the benefits of the public union sector, that is, pensions, forever health benefits. The private sector claims the public union sector gets paid too much and receives too many benefits, which the private sector must pay for, tweets listener Phoebe, making a similar point to one of our earlier callers. Um, but it's, uh, it's, I don't know, I'm curious how much you think that political dynamic is in play. It goes back to you know the Scott Walker or Wisconsin thing from a decade ago that the previous caller cited. Um, but this division of workers in the private sector who are, compared to decades ago, very non-unionized and don't get the benefits that public sector unions, uh, public sector workers who are still much more unionized, do get. Uh, I'm curious if you see. As a White House reporter, Biden trying to address that directly uh, or either party trying to exploit or highlight that in their 2024 politics?
2: I would actually kind of disagree with that, Um, the the sort of the general premise. I mean, I think it is the case, as you're alluding to sort of the Scott Walker, Wisconsin dynamic in, in 2012. You know, I remember those stories, but the key thing, I think, here is that unions are much, much, much more popular than they were then. Um, we're seeing, uh, even as Biden is unpopular, even as Democrats are unpopular, even as, um, you know, there's some um, criticisms of the Biden economic policy that are, that seem to be widely shared. Um, the approval rating for unions is at like a 80-year or something like that high, according to Gallup. And we're seeing actually... Quite a bit of solidarity, um, I think it's fair to say, from um, non-union workers towards the efforts at Starbucks, the efforts at Amazon, and really all over the country. And I think it's a kind of a hopeful moment for for labor because that story, at least in the polling, doesn't doesn't really seem to be the case. And I, I think oh, this that's is a great why. Point. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I, I think this is why Trump, despite sort of a policy record that was incredibly hostile to organized labor. I mean, at, at almost every juncture, Trump sided with corporate America over labor unions on on the National Labor Relations Board, on judicial appointments, on legislative priorities. Despite all that, Trump, I think, kind of recognizes he has like enough political instinct to see that... Um, just being like unions are bad is not something you can do anymore because 75 or 80 percent of the country now says that they support unions
1: i know you got to go we got to go too is there going to be a government shutdown do you make predictions uh
2: i wouldn't bet on anything i say i thought there was going to be a debt ceiling crisis that was not the case um but i really think there's going to be a shutdown i just don't see any way out of it but i've been wrong before and will be wrong again
1: That shutdown, if it comes, will be this Sunday. That's when the new fiscal year starts for the federal government, October 1st. Obviously, we're going to cover it tomorrow, last-minute negotiations, uh, Monday to see what happened over the weekend and what the status is at that point and on from there if necessary. Jeff Stein, White House economics reporter for The Washington Post. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it.
2: Love being on. Thanks, Brian. Anytime.